cars are truly marvels of engineering. We kind of take it for granted since many of us are in and around vehicles every day. How often do you sit there and ponder exactly what's going on inside the engine when you stare at the RPM gauge, also known as a tachometer? When you're cruising around and you see 1000 RPM, this means a large piece of metal inside the engine is rotating 1000 times per minute. That's 16 times every single second. When your car burns fuel, it pushes down on a piston that attaches to this rotating piece of metal I just mentioned, otherwise known as a crankshaft. At 1000 RPM, the piston travels downwards 1000 times and upwards 1000 times every minute. The camshaft requires two rotations for each crankshaft rotation. This means it's spinning 2000 times every minute, or 33 times per second. And this is all at very low speeds, even idle. Let's say for a minute you pull up at a light and can't help yourself, but to race the police officer that just pulled up next to you. Some cars can go up to 7000 RPM before they redline. This means the crankshaft is rotating over 100 times per second. The camshaft? 200 times per second. That's pretty impressive and all, but let's look at motorcycles. A lot of these scary machines redline at RPM speeds in excess of 16,000 rotations per minute. While you work out the math on that one and picture this chaos being inches from your nether regions while you're riding a bike, Carlos is redlining us up the intro. Welcome to Viable Underdogs, where we try and teach you some cool things and hopefully encourage everyone to become a bit more sustainable. My name is John, the always a great time Carlos is with me as well. This is episode number 19. Today we're starting our discussion on some of the limitations governments, along with politics, are faced with when it comes to sustainability. To clarify, governments will continue to play a role in sustainability, but the world needs to set more realistic expectations on just how much they can accomplish alone. These days, a properly maintained engine can last quite a long time. So this madness of engineering can continue to spin at ridiculous speeds for quite a number of years. But what exactly happens when we push it past this point? What happens past the engine's redline? If we remove the limiter that prevents an engine from going that fast, will a black hole open in your engine bay? With the ensuing sound that may eventually result, it may indeed seem that way. There are a number of things that can happen to an engine that is operating in the red line. It could lose its ability to rid itself of excess heat, it could lose its ability to properly lubricate itself, and if the engine is spinning fast enough, valve float can result. Valve float basically means things are moving so fast the valves no longer have the ability to open and close. This will create quite the spectacle if this is an interference engine. Most engines are timed so that when the valves open, the piston is not in the way. If this timing is interrupted in some way, such as when valve float occurs, then you'll quickly learn where the term interference engine comes from. It go boom. In other words, so long as an engine doesn't end up outpacing itself, it will operate very well for a long, long time. This is similar to where humanity is today. Our technology is at risk of outpacing itself. Well, really, it has already outpaced itself. 
we're globally in red line territory when it comes to sustainability. During the 20th century, the world underwent a tremendous change. We saw advancements being made in just about every field there is. And as we advanced, our ability to explore also advanced. We sent out the Voyager probes, see episode number 5 for more details, to explore our solar system and we landed on the moon. We also started sending out radio signals into outer space in order to possibly communicate with extraterrestrial life. In 1961, Frank Drake set about determining a method for estimating the number of possible civilizations that may exist in our galaxy. Although there's some dispute over some of the variables used in the equation, the Drake equation estimated that there should be between 1,000 to 100 million civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy. Enter the Fermi paradox. The physicist Enrico Fermi posed the question that if the number is so high, and there's so many civilizations supposedly out there, where were they all? Or something to that effect. There are quite a number of reasons given to answer this question. Some think that it's possible that these civilizations are indeed out there, but they don't interact with us because to an advanced civilization like that, attempting to communicate with us would be like talking to an ant. Well, unless you're Ant-Man. We still weep for entity. But one of the popular explanations is that any time any civilization is where we are now, they end up destroying themselves. And you could look at that from a pessimistic way and subconsciously give up on the human species, or you could interpret it that we're exactly where we're supposed to be. Our aggressive and ingenious discovery and use of technology has allowed us to develop the world we have today. The same world that is capable of preventing world-ending events like the asteroid that took out the dinosaurs, like we mentioned back in episode number 9. The challenge is that this aggressive implementation of technology is really starting to outpace us. The world is changing so quickly that governments, systems of laws, and even large businesses are having trouble keeping up. Going back to our car analogy from before, we are globally entering redline territory and just like with engines, the longer we remain here, the greater the chance for catastrophic failure. Hypothetically, every civilization eventually approaches this point. This is humanity's turn. And if the one hypothesis is true, that every civilization that has come before us has reached this point and failed, it should go to prove that this is no easy task to overcome. We can do this, but using the old solutions that got us where we are today, aren't going to work. Governments have strengths in many areas, despite how many of us like to complain about them all the time. They maintain our roads and infrastructure like sewage and water, as one instance that I'm sure we can agree on is rather important. One of the many vital functions governments perform. But they're also bleeding with inefficiencies when it comes to handling things like sustainability. Just look how long it took for things to change when it came to banning lead. See episode number 6 for a more in-depth explanation. Back in episode 16, we told you we would try to sell you on the idea of sustainability, and a smart buyer is a knowledgeable buyer. We're trying to sell everyone on the idea that doing the exact same things we have done in the past will not succeed in solving this problem. Governments are good at a lot of things, 
but they will not be able to implement changes fast enough to effectively and efficiently deal with the challenges posed by sustainability. They will still play a role in sustainability, such as the amendments made very recently to the Basel Convention that seeks to start addressing the plastic problems in our oceans we mentioned back in episodes 7 and 17. But the world needs to set more realistic expectations as to exactly what role governments will continue to play in sustainability. Next week, we're going to continue exploring this issue. We probably could have explored it more in this episode, but we got a little long-winded in our love and appreciation of engines. It is, after all, the thing we name engineers after. Cheers. Thanks for listening. As always, please share and forward this podcast. The first step towards realistic sustainability is in knowledge and discussion. And this can't happen without everyone's input. Please send any questions, comments, or engineering marvels to viableunderdogs at gmail.com. Our intro music is composed by Mark Kronowski and the music currently playing by Jonathan Atkinson. Also, pretty much all the images we use, we currently obtain from Pixabay. Make sure to check it out and share your appreciation for all of the artists there. That's P-I-X-A-B-A-Y dot com. <laughs>